there was this uh, world-class bodybuilder who was taking a tour of Africa, <clears throat> going to large cities and remote villages, talking about fitness and exercise and good hygiene. And the way that he would attract crowds is he'd stand up there and take off his shirt and just kind of flex and do those things. And people would be like they'd never seen anything like that before. So they come running. Who is this guy that's standing in the middle of our village doing all these kinds of things? And one day he was in a remote village, no electricity, you know, no, no clean water. And um, he just kind of stood in the town square and he's took off his shirt and doing his physique thing, you know, and people just started coming, like, what is going on? Uh, it wasn't long before the village chief came and watched this man do his thing, and after he had shown off his physique quite a bit, through an interpreter, the tribal chief said to the bodybuilder, so what do you use those muscles for? And the bodybuilder says, well, what do you mean? This is what I do for a profession. I, I spend hours and hours and hours a day in the gym so I can get this great physique. And, and he was used to the attention. So when he was talking like that, he just kind of looked around and did a few more flexes here and there. And the tribal chief said something that rocked him. He said to the bodybuilder, what a shame to have all those muscles and not put them to good use. And then he walked away. We're in this series called Victory, Winning in Life and at Home. And it's a series from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And we've started in chapter 6. We're working our way forward. But in chapter 6 of Ephesians, Paul talks about the armor of God. And he talks about, just like Miss Allison did in her kids' video just a few moments ago, putting on the armor of God, you know, the, the belt of truth and the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness. And they're really muscles, if you stop and think about it. I mean, what good are those things you ever known some Christians that walked around and were flexing how much knowledge they had? Or talked about how much faith they had? What good is all that if it doesn't come to practical, everyday use in your life? And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He said, man, we put on all these things, not so that we walk around and look cool like a Roman soldier. We put them on because we need to apply them in our everyday life. So, today I want to talk to you about the last piece of the armor that the Apostle Paul talks about, and that is prayer. The indispensable weapon that is invisible but changes the world. So would you stand, please? We're going to read God's Word together. It's from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 and 19. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Pray also for me too, 
ask God to give me the right word so that I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. I am in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. Would you bow your heads together? I'm going to end the service by asking you to pray a big, bold prayer, but I'm going to ask you to pray one right now. Would you consider praying this big, bold prayer? God, say something to me these next few moments. I mean, to me. From your heart to my heart. I'm present. Reveal your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So what does prayer that win what does that look like? You want to win, right? I mean, we were made to win, right? So we're all in a battle. The enemy's real. God made us to win. What does prayer look like that wins? Paul gives four ways to pray. The first is, he says, pray in the spirit. What does it mean to pray in the spirit? Now, if you come from certain traditions, you know, in the Christian faith and the evangelical world, you may say, well, to pray in the spirit's this or to pray in the spirit's that. Well, there's actually two places in the Bible where we're commanded to pray in the spirit. The first is from Jude chapter one, verses 20 and 21. But you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, we get a little nugget of what it means to pray in the spirit. I'll get to that in a minute. And then there's Romans chapter 8, verse 26. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through our wordless groans. There's another piece of the puzzle of what it means to pray in the Spirit. The Spirit intercedes for us. So if you were to scan all of Scripture like all the scriptures that have to do with praying in the spirit and what that looks like, you'd come up with four answers. So let me just give them to you really quick. The first is to pray in the spirit means to be, to be guided by the Holy Spirit. In other words, we just don't have our own agenda when we pray. I mean, that's important too. I mean, we're, prayer is a conversation between two people who love each other, right? And so you love the Lord, the Lord loves you. And so when you're praying, you're actually having a conversation. And so part of that conversation is you saying all the things that are on your heart, being open and being vulnerable. But part of it also is allowing the Holy Spirit to guide you. Would you consider this morning adding to your prayer life one other prayer? Here it is. God, with everything else I'm praying, God, who do you want me to pray for today? Who do you want me to pray for today? And then just stop for a moment. You know, when we're in staff meeting together, pastoral prayer time, we oftentimes do that. You send us all these prayer requests, right, which we love. I can guarantee you whatever you put in this morning, those little prayer cards right in front of you, whatever you put in, those slot right over there, that slot right over there, they come to us and we will lift up your prayer request. But at the end of that time, oftentimes we'll say this, Holy Spirit, is there anybody else that's on your heart today 
that you want to bring to our attention so that we can pray. You'd be amazed what happens. All of a sudden, Pastor Jake says, you know, I feel like I ought to pray for this person. Or Pastor Ann will say, you know, I just feel like this situation has come to my mind, and we ought to pray for that. And then we'll, we'll be praying. What is that? That's allowing, praying in the Spirit is allowing God to guide you. That'll change your life, just adding that one-sentence prayer. Who do you want me to pray for today, Lord? Secondly, praying in the Spirit means praying in the power of the Holy Spirit. I think if you're like most people, we don't really feel like we're great at praying. For many people, prayer is mysterious. It's intimidating. It's confusing. Nobody likes doing things that we don't do well. And if I were to take a poll today of those of you who are online and those of you in the building, I bet you most of you would say, I don't know. I mean, I know I should pray and I do pray, but I don't know if I'm that great at it. By the way, I'd be the one saying that too. Here I am a pastor all these years. Sometimes I feel like my prayers only get to the ceiling. Not all the time. Sometimes though. Sometimes I'm distracted in my prayers. I have to keep bringing my mind back. I'm sorry, Lord. I, I don't know what I was thinking about the football game. You know what I'm saying? How did the 49ers pull that off? was that about i'm sorry lord I, I got distracted right i'm so add sometimes i have to keep the, one of the major ways that i pray is i keep a spiritual journal and i write out my prayers because that's the only way i can keep myself focused which i'm going to talk about in just a moment right but you're bing 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 you're all over the place and sometimes it doesn't really feel like you have great energy in praying holy spirit Help me to pray with power. One of my favorite quotes on prayer is from Samuel Chadwick. Maybe you've heard it before. Satan dreads nothing but prayer. His one concern is to keep the saints, you and me, from praying. He laughs at our toil. He mocks our wisdom. But he trembles when we get down on our knees and pray. Prayer is the most powerful thing you do, but the devil will trick you every time, saying, you don't pray with power at all. Three, you pray in the Spirit when you're praying according to God's will. Romans 8.27 says, For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's will. You know, sometimes we pray and pray and pray, and it feels like God's not answering this prayer. One of the reasons why God doesn't answer the way that we want him to answer certain prayers that we pray is because actually we're praying for God to help us get out of a certain situation, and God is saying, no, I'm, I'm going to keep you in that situation that you're trying to get out of because I'm trying to build something inside of you that cannot be built in any other way. I'm trying to build resilience inside of you. I'm trying to build character inside of you. And if your life always goes the way you want it to go, you will never feel the ouch of not getting your way. And sometimes God lovingly says, stay, stay. When you and I are like, get me out of here, stay, stay. God's not being mean. He's building something better and deeper inside of you. 
We just need to pray according to God's will. If you're not getting any answers to the prayers that you're praying, maybe you ought to add a prayer saying, God, am I praying in a way that actually you want to be doing something different in my life? That's a great prayer. And then lastly, praying in the spirit means listening. So if prayer is a conversation between two people who love each other, I say what I want to say, but then I pause and I wait for God to speak to me. If prayer is being present so we can experience his presence, then we listen. What would happen if you paused and just said, is there anything you want to say to me today? And then listened. Sometimes God would say to you, like, why don't you say you're sorry to your spouse? You were a little rough. Oh, you don't understand. They were rough first. Yeah, I get that. Number two, if you're going to pray prayers that win, first of all, you pray in the spirit. Second of all, you become consistent in your prayer life. Paul says, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Now, consistency means doing something over and over and over and over and over and over and over again until it becomes habit, until it becomes, you don't even think about it anymore. One of the reasons why prayer is so mysterious to us and one of the reasons why we don't feel like we're great at praying is because we don't do it enough. If you prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, listen, we learn to pray by praying. We don't learn to pray by reading a book. I mean, sometimes, but we actually learn to pray by praying. And consistency is one of those things that we adapt in our lives in order to pray, as 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. Now, praying without ceasing doesn't mean you're just not doing anything else, like you're kneeling by the side of your bed or you're sitting in your favorite chair all day long and you don't, you don't cook dinner, you don't do anything else. That's not what praying you know, without ceasing means. It means that in your everyday life, you're just having, practicing an ongoing conversation with the Lord. Now, I think one of the main reasons why we struggle with praying consistently is because we have no direction whatsoever. Our prayers are all over the place. So what I want to do these next few moments is to give you two practical guides on how to pray. Maybe some of you have heard of these acrostics. Maybe for some of you, they're new. So the first is ACTS, A-C-T-S. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Adoration is giving praise and honor to God for who he is. Confession is being honest with God about your sins, your failures, and your shortcomings. Thanksgiving is thanking God for what he's done. So adoration is thanking God for who he is. Thanksgiving is thanking God for what he's done. And then supplication is a fancy word for asking. God, help my, help my brother out. God, help me out. Help my spouse out. A-C-T-S. Here's another acrostic. Pray. Praise, repent, ask, yield. Praise, give God praise. Thank you. You know what God is building? What God wants to build inside of you is gratitude. Gratitude is an attitude of the heart that says, I'm grateful for how God is watching over me. And if we will spend more time in gratitude, we will spend more time getting perspective on even our own problems. So then there's repent, which is confession. And then there's ask, asking God for what you need. And then yield is surrender. You will go a long way in your spiritual life if on a regular basis you just say, God, I'm here. 
and I surrender to you. I don't even know what that means, God, but I'm surrendering. I surrender to you in my everyday life. I surrender my finances to you. I surrender my car to you. I surrender my life to you. I surrender my marriage to you. I just surrender, surrender, surrender. That's the pathway to victory. Now, we build consistency when we practice something on a regular basis, right? So here's my suggestion to you. Find a place, same time, same place, every day. It could be five minutes, seven minutes, 10 minutes, whatever it is. Find, build consistency. Do the same thing every single day, same location, and do that for a year. A year? Absolutely. Just try it. Start small, five minutes. If five minutes is too much for you, start with two minutes. Set a little alarm on your phone. Just two minutes of just, I'm, I'm here and I'm praying. And then over the course of the year, just add a minute, right? So you get up to 10 minutes or 15 minutes or 20 minutes. Three, prayers that win are focused. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers. A new generation needs to be exposed to a godly woman named Elizabeth Elliot. If you've never heard of Elizabeth Elliot, just go home and do a Google search today. And your life will be impacted tremendously. She once wrote this about prayer. People who ski, I suppose, are people who happen to like skiing, who have time for skiing who can afford to ski, and who are good at it. Recently, I found that I often treat prayer like skiing, something you do if you like it, have spare time, if you can afford the trouble, something you do if you're good at. But for me, prayer isn't a sport. It's work. Prayer is no game. Prayer is the opposite of leisure. It's the weapon that the devil dreads most, and if he can get us to treat it as casually as we treat a pair of skis or a tennis racket, he can keep hold of us. When we feel the weight of the world on us, when we feel like the devil is throwing everything at us, we don't need casual prayer, we need focused prayer. Matthew chapter 17, verse 21, says one of the most unusual verses in the Bible that has to do with prayer. So the context is, is the disciples are trying to cast this demon out of this boy, and they can't do it. And Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration, and he's, there's a crowd around them, and the disciples are not looking good. Right? I mean, they're, they're failing big time. And, you know, if I'm, if, if, you know, if I'm a, a, a bystander, I just kind of envision Jesus going like this. Oh, you guys are making me look bad. What are you doing? So when the disciples turn to Jesus and say, we couldn't cast this demon out of this boy, you know what Jesus said? This kind can only come out with prayer and fasting. What? Jesus is saying that prayer's not enough? Yeah. Yeah, that's what he's saying. You know what Jesus is really saying? Prayers that win are prayers that get serious. They're not, Lord, bless me prayers. They're not, Lord, help me to find a parking spot near Aldi's prayer. 
Nothing wrong with those prayers. Nothing, listen, nothing wrong because God cares about every part of you. God cares. If, it, if you care about it, God cares about it. No guilt. Sometimes, though, you've got to lean in. And you've got to lean in hard. Let me be really specific. For some of you who are struggling in your marriage, prayer is not enough. It's prayer and fasting. It's doing something. It's like kicking it up to a whole new level. It's showing up at 6.30 to 7, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, because Jungmo or Pastor Ann are leading a prayer time. Or it's showing up on Tuesdays and Thursdays, 6.30 to 7. I mean, you don't have to. You can pray anywhere, right? But sometimes it, it's, it's like coming to an altar. What do you mean? I can just stay right where I'm at praying. I get that. I understand you can. But sometimes, sometimes you just need a little bit more focus and a little bit more intentionality. When the weight of the world is on you, Paul says you got to kick it up. You've got to be extremely intentional about it. Stay alert and persistent in your prayers. I pray for my family every day. I pray for them by name. I pray for Bethany and Steve and our three grandchildren, their three children. I pray for Emily and Trevor and their two children, our grandchildren. But uh, I got word this week, so I pray for them every day, right? I got word this week that um, Erie, where Trevor and Emily live, Erie, Pennsylvania, got 24 inches of snow. And I looked out my window and said, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> right? So I'm, I don't know, I'm being stupid. I'm gloating. I'm sending them all these emojis, stupid things about snow. And then I get a text back. We all have COVID and we can barely get out of bed. And I went, oh. What did I do? I kicked up my prayers. I wasn't given my everyday prayers. God, be with Trevor, help him to be a good pastor, and Emily, help him to be. No, I mean, I leaned in. Because the intensity got kicked up. Focused and intentional. Okay, one last thing. I've tried to move through the message as quick as I could because I want to land here. You know what the Apostle Paul says, prayers that win are prayers that go big. Now, there's a little nugget here that's easy to miss that I want to draw out. Paul says, pray for me, pray for all the believers everywhere, pray for me too, ask that God will give me the right words so that I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. The last three words change the world. And Gentiles alike. That doesn't sound very powerful, Mark. I don't even know what you're talking about. In Paul's day, there were two kinds of people. Jews, everybody else. I mean, Jews were it. They were God's chosen people. They had God's favor. A Jewish man, as part of his daily prayers, would wake up every day and thank God he was born a Jew and not a Gentile. All of us. It was just this superiority that Jews had. They had, a, they had the lock on God. And those Gentiles, 
They, they pretty much put up with them because they had to do business with them, but they didn't think very highly of Gentiles. Oh, by the way, Gentiles? Gentiles looked at Jews and thought that they were stuck-up, prideful, arrogant people. And the only reason why they stuck around Jews was is to do business. Talk about racial tension. But, Paul says, when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead and his big new salvation plan, but God was going to do something dramatically different in the world. And it wasn't going to be Jews anymore that had a lock on God. It was going to be that salvation is for everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so you know what Paul is asking the Ephesians to do? Paul is asking the Ephesians to say, pray for me that I will be able to communicate the good news to Jews and Gentiles alike. Boom! That's you and me. And guess what? This little house church of the Ephesians, what, 20, 30, 40 people maybe? Paul's writing to 30, 40 people, and he's saying, will you pray for me that God will give me the words and the boldness to preach to the Gentiles because salvation is for them too? And guess what? God answered that prayer, that little 30, 40 member house church. And that's why you and I are here. Because God answered that prayer. What Paul is saying is this. Stop praying manageable prayers. Go big. So out in the West, there was a county that was being overrun by wolves. And so the county manager said, we're going to pay $5,000 a head, a bounty on every wolf that gets killed. So there's these two guys that decide they want to strike it rich. So they decide that they're going to go camping far into the woods and they're going to kill as many wolves as they can at $5,000 a pop. So they do. They get, they get their camping gear on. They hike deep into the woods. And one night, the campfire is getting dim. They are in their tents and one, one night, this, this guy wakes up, and he wakes up to hearing all of this growling and snarling, and he looks out his tent, and he sees 50 wolves that have surrounded them. He turns to his friend and says, John, wake up. We're rich. You can either look at your problems and say, God, help me. I can't do it. I'm overwhelmed. This is too much. I can't manage it. Or you can go big. Remember the story of David and Goliath? Nobody thought that David could win. They looked at, little, they looked at David, who is... Most Bible scholars think David is probably 16, 17 years old, and he's standing in front of a giant. And you can hear, the, you can hear David's brothers, who didn't think very highly of David. You can hear King Saul, who was like, I ain't going out there to fight Goliath. You can hear them saying in the back, he's so big, David doesn't have a chance. You know what David was thinking? He's so big, I can't miss One of the intriguing parts of that story is that David picked up five stones from the book, a brook called Kareth. 
The last time I was in Israel, I asked a tour guide to stop at that brook. And I jumped out of the, the tour bus and I ran over to the brook of Kareth and picked up five stones and they're sitting in my office. Why did David pick up five stones? Because if you dig a little bit deeper into that story of David and Goliath, you'll discover that Goliath had four other brothers. David picked up a stone for every one of them. He was looking beyond Goliath. And he was going to take on Goliath's four other brothers, should he have to. That's going big. So here's how I'd like to close the service. Would you consider going big? And by that I mean this. Praying a prayer that is so big that only God could do it. Now for some of you, that means a healing, a physical healing. For others of you, it is a wounded relationship that is fractured and you're like, there is no way that this relationship is ever going to be fixed. For some of you, your finances are so broken, you're like ready to declare bankruptcy and you're like, I don't even know how God could fix my finances. I'm just inviting you, stop praying manageable prayers. Today, today, go big. The worship team is going to come. They're going to sing a song. While they're singing, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Stand up, stand in the aisle, or stand up and come and kneel at this altar. And by doing so, it's, it's your signal. I'm praying a God-sized prayer. Nobody's going to ask you what the prayer is. It's, it's, a, it's a moment between you and God. Then I'm going to come back up and I'm going to give a closing prayer. So as the worship team sings, stand up, get in the aisle, come to the altar. And you're just saying, I'm going big and bold today. And I'm praying a God-sized prayer.